You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What's going on, FA Nation? John Pemba here with Andrew Cooper. This is the Quick Out Fantasy Football Podcast. Coop, we are recording here one week away from the start of the NFL season, man. How's it feeling? Feeling great, man. Especially with this podcast where we went through the early part of the drafts last week, which to me is kind of the boring stuff, especially the first three rounds. It's just chalk. There's not a lot of bad picks there. Now we're into the sleepers. We're into the guys we really like. No longer held down by the constraints of the evil ADP. We can take whoever we want now. So I love this episode. This is my favorite episode. Yeah, we did the first six rounds during last week's ADP review here. Coop, why don't you mention some of the guys we left off with the last time we were recording here? Yeah, so just to give you an idea where we were before, the tier in terms of, let's say, quarterbacks, you know, we got to like Kylo Murray, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, the end of like the top two tiers, really. For tight end, we got down to Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson. We'll consider those guys to be covered. And now we're into the back end tight end ones and the RB2s. For wide receiver, We got through like Darno Mooney, Rashad Bateman, Chris Godwin, which is essentially the end. We got through the end of the wide receiver two tier and actually into the the late 20s. So we got into 27, 28. Now we're pretty squarely going to be into the 30s. And then we covered for running backs. We got through like A.J. Dillon, Josh Jacobs, and that that crew there, kind of the the split back type crew, the J.K. Dobbins, like the, you know, we're kind of. Still in the heart of the dead zone there. We didn't really get to a tear break, but that's just how it shakes out with round six. So kind of kind of going to journey our way through the dead zone. We're going to get into the wide receiver threes and beyond the, you know, the stash tight ends, the yin yang tight ends. And then, of course, the second half QBs. So this is kind of this is where I like to be. This is where we live. You know, this is where we really help people. Yep. Cool. From the last time that we recorded, we've had some pretty interesting news sort of come down. Obviously, we had the Brian Robinson unfortunate incident there where he was shot during an attempted car robbery or whatever, hijacking, whatever it was going to be there. A lot of people were already down on Antonio Gibson. They had the report coming out that he was going to be there, you know, kick returner and maybe sort of a change of pace back. Now, Brian Robinson placed on the non-football injury list, going to miss at least the first four weeks. How does that change your evaluations now when it comes to Antonio Gibson? I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day last year, people forget Antonio Gibson finished the season as the running back 10 in both PPR and half PPR. It's going to be a split backfield where J.D. McKissick gets some of that pass work, but Gibson's back on the menu, you know, and the interesting thing about, you know, this particular podcast is we left off. He's literally the number, the top person in ADP where we left off at the top around seven. So we don't really need to talk about him today. He, to me, moves up into that Josh Jacobs and A.J. Dillon type tier because now that's going to be his role. You know, if we have to talk about, you know, obviously the number one focus is hoping that Brian Robinson comes back. I hope that he comes back and gets back to full strength and even better. And it turns into a good story at the end of the day. But we have to talk about the fantasy implications now because we're doing people a disservice if we don't mention you know, how it affects the rest of the team with him out. So Jano Gibson has to move up. J.D. McKissick has to move up. And we'll, you know, we won't talk about Gibson. We'll tell you kind of where we like McKissick when we get to that point. Yep. And the only other player I'm going to mention now, because had we been recording last week's episode today, we would have already talked about this running back. But when we recorded this episode last week, Damian Pierce was, you know, a fast riser on draft boards. But then since cutdown day, Marlon Mack's gone, Royce Freeman's gone, And Damian Pierce, as of recent high stakes ADP, 
is now going around pick 56, which has him in the running back ranges of A.J. Dillon, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery. When we were recording this, we had him around eight. Now he's going around four and five. Where are you when it comes to the inflated price tag of Damian Pierce? So the way I'm approaching Damian Pierce is pretty simple. He's on one of the worst teams in the league. Four and a half win over under is atrocious. The only team even close is the Falcons. Some places have the Falcons at five. Some of them, some places have them at four and a half, but they are set to be the worst team in the league. For me, if I'm in a draft with sharp gamers that are going to overdraft Damian Pierce, I will let them take him in my hometown league where I think people maybe don't even know much about him or, or they're skeptical of reaching for him. I'm willing to take him in round five or six. So I'm with you, John. I think it, it would be inappropriate for us to talk about Damian Pierce with this group of players now, because we kind of left off at pick 70 or so, right? Yeah. Like 70. And he just goes before that now and get another guy that's getting close to that, that, you know, at, well, at the, might as well talk about him at the top of the show, because you kind of need to draft him. There is, you know, there are some guys that we're going to talk about now that I like better, but Romeo Dubs is now starting to really creep up into this range where he is being drafted in the wide receiver three range. And we kind of left off just about wide receiver 30, which is in, which is middle wide receiver three. So yep. those guys are creeping up. You have to keep an eye on it because usually they creep up for a reason. So, I agree. Yeah. Uh, 100%. So now let's get into some of the guys that are still in this range where we kind of left off there. You mentioned Antonio Gibson, you know, if we're looking at some other running backs, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, we got some, I want to say more clarity, but almost less clarity. It feels like with Ronald Jones actually making the roster, you know, because everybody was on Isaiah Pacheco. Seems like now maybe that was a lot of just camp fodder. Like some of us were projecting that to be throughout the offseason. The fact that they kept four running backs, that it feels like Jared McKinnon solidified that third down role. CEH and Ronald Jones and I guess Pacheco are going to be sort of battling out for some sort of early down work but ceh is going to be that lead back to start i have to believe i've always long felt that ronald jones could be that red zone guy for them given sort of the profile that ceh has had during his tenure with kansas city ronald jones makes that roster now you know ceh's value i think has to be impacted by the fact that they did decide to keep ronald jones there there is a yeah there is a nightmare world where clyde edwards Hilaire becomes that miles sanders type between the 20s only player and then, you know, Pacheco is your Kenneth Game, and Ronald Jones is now your Jordan Boston Howard. Scott. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jordan, yeah, pick your poison. And it's just, you know, where Clyward's Lair on paper, you know, he ends up looking good in terms of yards per carry, but at the end of the day, he's not getting the high leverage roles. So that's something that scares me. And here's something I will say since, you know, we might as well talk about Isaiah Pacheco right now, since he's also flying up draft boards, thanks largely to guys like J.J. Zacharyson, who have been, just been pushing the narrative. You need to know what kind of bench you have at this stage of the game. If you have a bench that is like six, seven, eight spots, you can afford to hold on to what I like to call lottery tickets. So a guy like Alexander Madison, Jamison Williams, guys that we know aren't going to flash right away and they need some sort of trigger, just an actual lottery ticket. Like you need to wait for the numbers to come in before you win the money. So like Alexander Madison, you need to wait for Dalvin to get hurt. You need to wait for someone to trade get, him to get, maybe get traded. Like the rumors, you have to wait on that. On the flip side, you have scratch tickets, which are guys, to me, you get the answers week one. There's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know who's going to have what role, but we get the answer early. And when you have a short bench, like four players, that's the kind of guy you want to have because you want to be able to drop those guys early for the hot waiver pickup. Isaiah Pacheco, to me, is that kind of scratch ticket where week one, we're going to find out how involved he is. If he's out there playing all the pass snaps, then perfect. 
But if you go out there and it's like Jerick McKinnon's playing past snaps and Clyde Edwards Lair is the starter, now you have the guy that you can drop week one and make your moves. So know the kind of bench you have, and we'll try our do our best to mention this guy's a good lottery ticket or this guy's a good scratch ticket so that you can know, okay, if I have the bench space, I want to stash this guy for the long term. You know, Michael Gallup, a guy that, you know, he's coming out hurt, but he could have upside. Or do I want somebody that I can get the answers on right away and then drop him if he does nothing, like an Evan Ingram or something? So we'll try to do our best to clarify that. But to me, Pacheco is a guy where he's worth a stab, but if he's not being involved, go ahead and drop him. Yep. Two more running backs that are kind of climbing their way up into that same seventh round-ish ADP area. Tony Pollard, you know, we've debated the Tony Pollard Ezekiel Elliott thing, I think, to the point where we don't really have much more to say on it. Chase Edmonds and Ramondre Stevenson, though. Stevenson's an ADP riser. It seems like a lot of people have decided that, you know what, we're taking Stevenson over Damian Harris this year. And then Chase Edmonds, you know, with Sony Michelle now being removed from that situation, I feel like more people are starting to buy into what he could be in this Miami offense. Yeah, right now I want no part of the Steve Stevenson or Damian Harris, just because I think they're going to be splitting half a role. The the Stevenson bump has been people suggesting that he's going to get that pass catching role. And I think that Ty, that's Ty Montgomery's role. And behind him is Pierre Strong in that role. So if Ty Montgomery starts the season on the IR, like people are suggesting, he could be Pierre Strong in that role, not even Ramondre Stevenson. I'm just not super interested in those guys unless it's like a standard league because they really don't catch passes for Tony Pollard. I'm kind of interested this year in full PPR if he's actually going to play the slot. But again, we've heard that a story a million times and it almost never happens. Chase Edmonds is the one in this range I want because I'm very interested in Mike McDaniel's offense over there, come over from the 49ers where they're a great rushing team. And he went out and got Teron Armstead to be their version of Trent Williams so that they can actually run the offense with a true elite tackle. I mean, Teron Armstead's been great. Alvin Kamara has run behind Teron Armstead for a few years now. PFF even had him as high as the second-graded tackle in the league in run blocking one year. So, Chase Edmonds I like in that range. I'm not sure how you feel about that, John, but it's I think it's worth a shot. Chase Edmonds, I think, might be my highest roster at RB2, uh, truthfully, <laughs> of any drafts that I've done this year. So you're uh, feeling good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just given the way that I've gone about my drafts where you get that running back early in round one or two or whatever. And then I just love the wide receiver depth that's in those like rounds three, four, five, that when it comes back time for me to get my second running back, Chase Edmonds is always on the board. And I'm a big believer of what he is, especially in PPR formats. He's going to catch football. And I almost feel even better about it now. Looking at that Miami Dolphins depth chart, right, where Sonny Michelle is no longer in the picture. Who's the backup running back right now to Chase Edmonds? It's Mr. Glass, Dream Ray yeah. Mostert. So, like, how what is the what is the likelihood that Ray Mostert is able to stay healthy? I know you and I are not doctors. We say this all the time. We don't draft with injury or his risk or history sort of in our mindset. I'm not opposed to taking Ray Mostert at the right value, and we'll talk about that shortly when he comes up and where he is at ADPs. But also the facts are this is a guy that does get hurt all the time. So, like, right, if he yeah, does get hurt. It's Chase Edmonds and it's like Miles Gaskins, right? That's who the depth chart is again in Miami. And it feels like Edmonds would be just a home run play there. So I'm with you there. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't have any of the running backs for New England either. Stevenson, fine. I think a lot of people are just falling in love with, again, Bill Belichick being like, Ramondre could play all three downs. We view him as a, three, as a guy that's capable of playing three downs. And then as long as Ty Montgomery's out. But when Ty Montgomery's coming back, it's pretty clear that Ty Montgomery is going to be the third down back on this roster, you know, RIP Pierre Strong. I know we, you and I were hopeful that maybe he would be uh -huh. there for a deep guy, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it. So those are the seventh round running backs. 
Some guys that are at quarterback position, they're sort of in this general. This Russell Wilson, even though I saw him go in the 10th round today of the host league draft over on Sirius XM. Tom Brady sort of been in that range as well. Dak Prescott. These are guys that in your general home leagues, you know, quarterbacks tend to go early. When we talk about industry leagues, we all know you just wait on quarterbacks. So quarterbacks tend to fall in a lot of the industry leagues, a lot of the quote unquote expert leagues. So if you look at those ADPs, you'll see their ADPs are down a little bit, but those are quarterbacks that you'll see go earlier in your home leagues. I love Russell Wilson. Again, you bring him over to a new system. Love his wide receivers. He feels rejuvenated. He just got the bag today as well as we're recording here on Thursday. Big contract Big money for him in Denver. So love it when it comes to quarterbacks in this range. That contract might have just sent Lamar Jackson to free agency. I mean, like... Now what do the Ravens do? You got an MVP on your hands and Russell Wilson just got paid dough. I mean, if you're Baltimore, are you looking at, I mean, are you going to pay Lamar Jackson? I think Russell you have Wilson to got? pay Lamar Jackson. Mm. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't at this point. We've seen now as Patriots fans, what it's like trying to go through a rebuild, looking for the next guy. Yeah. You know, it's and, and it's been hasn't looked the same. What is the Baltimore Ravens going to look like if they have to go through and try to find the next guy? Lamar Jackson, I think, is that guy for them. So I would pay yeah. him for sure. Otherwise, they look over, really just, rolling the dice. They just have to look across the aisle in that division at the Browns, who haven't, you know, for 20 years, they couldn't Pittsburgh find Pittsburgh now is going to be going through that. They're, Big Ben's gone. Right. Now they're trying to figure out who the next guy is going to be. And that is a bumpy road. It's very rare. For a team to lose a veteran quarterback and then have a young quarterback step in and not really miss a beat, right? Aaron Rodgers, obviously, but he waited forever. Andrew Luck came in. Wasn't good initially in terms of success for Indy, but eventually got them there. You know, Justin Herbert was a rare breed of just stepping in rookie year and just being phenomenal. There are instances, but it's not common. So Very rare, dude. Like, before that, I can't even think of many. If you go back through time. We're talking like Steve Young and Joe Montana is like all I can really think of. That's like one that jumps out as being like clearly great to great. Like in the nineties, there weren't a lot of that. I mean, unless you consider Drew Bledsoe to be <laughs> Drew Bledsoe to you know, Tom Brady I mean, by accident, you know? Yeah, kind of right. You know, but you know, $10 million, a hundred million dollar man loses his job to Tom Brady. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm there with you. And you know, in this range of quarterbacks, uh, this is where I sit and I say, okay, let me just make sure if I have no quarterback this by this point, I try and make sure I get one of Trey Lance, Dak, or Russell Wilson. Just because I don't I'm not super excited about the Brady, the Brady Stafford, Aaron Rodgers group. Honestly, if I miss on all them, I'm not gonna go for Brady Stafford or Rodgers either. I'm just gonna address in fields. <laughs> yeah, I'll take yeah, I'll, I'll stack fields with Derek Carr. And I'll start Derek Carr week one against the Chargers and then week two against the Cardinals if I need to while I wait to see if Fields is anything, you know, because right. I mean, those are great matchups. I mean, and Derek Carr is over under is like 4,400 yards with Vegas. Like, Derek Carr had over 4,800 yards last year. I, and then they went and got him Devontae Adams. He's good. Huh? What am I missing? They had Hunter Renfro and Har- a, tight, a wide receiver one. Yeah, yeah. What exactly am I missing there? Yeah, I love the Derek Hart as well. He's going a couple rounds later. Like I said, we're talking seven, eight turn here for quarterbacks that are in that range. You know, you mentioned Trey Lance, Tom Brady. I'm with you there. Stafford is a guy that I'm scared to death of. You know, they talk about yeah. him having sort of that tennis elbow, that throwing elbow. He's fine. They're managing it. But he's also had some injections in there. You know, and this is just like preseason, you know, training camp where they're managing the amount of footballs he's throwing. What so, happens when he's throwing 30 to 35 times a week, you know, tell you what. consistent like that arm? Is he going to have the arm strength to consistently throw that football like that? I question. We've, we've seen it in fantasy football with Aaron Rodgers before where the, they were beat when they were getting up on teams. They just take Rodgers out of the game. 
just you know and just finish the game the fourth quarter he, like there was remember that year where he was mvp and he threw two picks and he just wasn't playing fourth quarter right, they were just but, running the ball and, and saving his arm that's what i worry i wonder if there's like I, a management with stafford here if that elbow is really going to be a problem because they can't have him throw 35 times a game for 18 weeks of his arms giving him problems like that yeah, so. te- terrible for fantasy football that is you want those games to be close you know but i mean they also don't really have a great backup qb it's john what is it john wolford or somebody so who knows if they're going to go that route but it's on the table when you got a guy who you know has an elbow like that you're not going to just keep slinging it when you're up 20 you yeah. know so a concern for sure Coop, you have an article coming out we've been doing the debate series rashad penny what do you what are your I know what side you took. So why don't you go ahead and talk about what it is with Rashad Penny this year and how you're evaluating him with Seattle. Yeah. So, I mean, in this range, you look at it's that it's easier than people think because look at the format you're in and whether it's full PPR or standard or half PPR, and you can get an idea of what you want. If it's full PPR, you're not taking Damian Harris, but if it's standard, you're not taking Kareem Hunt, right? Like these guys are all going in the range here. So you can kind of group the guys into what you think they're going to be. Rashad Penny for me is a guy I'm not taking in any sort of PPR format because he's never even had 10 receptions in a season. He's been in the league four years now. He's never had 10 receptions. His, the most he's ever had was nine as a rookie. That's just not really part of his skill set. So I'm not super interested in that. Then you talk about running being the luxury of the winning team. This team has an over-under of five and a half wins. So when I talked about the when I talked about the Texans and the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Jets. And then the Bears are pretty much like the other bottom five. No matter what book you look at, it's some arrangement of those five teams at the very bottom. And the best running back that came out of the bottom five teams last year in scoring was like James Robinson. And he was like, well, you know, running back 24. So unless you're a CMC, Saquon Barkley, Najee Harris level player that you can really transcend a terrible offense, typically via your pass catching ability, since the team will be playing from behind, I'm not interested. So when I look at Rashad Penny, I'm just like, when exactly am I going to be excited about starting him in redraft? Of course, he can break off big runs, which is fine in best ball, but we're talking redraft now. This is crunch time. This is September today, you know? So I'm not taking Rashad Penny if, you know, to start in my lineup. It's just a terrifying idea. You know what I mean? That Gino, a Geno Smith-led offense that's supposed to win five games at the most <laughs> – no chance. I said this on the radio last night for an alarm after hours. Seattle is looking to lose this season. Bad. They didn't address their quarterback situation in the draft this year because they're taking the suck for luck, the tank for Tua. Like that mm-hmm. is their mentality. I saw somebody talk about with the Kenneth Walker injury and Pete Cower really being cagey about his return, how they're going to use him. You know, what's it going to be like? And I think it's pretty clear. They don't want to put mileage on him in a year that they're going to lose. So, you know, with you on the fact that Penny is unappealing given the offense and the fact that they're not going to win many games, you know, maybe he runs for 800 yards this year, 850 yards with a couple of touchdowns. You know, he, we saw him being capable of having monster breakout games, you know, when they're, he yeah. just does it all himself just on a pure volume thing. But this is a team that's not going to be ahead in many games, if any. They're intentionally, in my opinion, trying to tank because I think they looked at this draft class and then they're like, nah. Ritter ain't it. You know, these guys yeah. aren't it. Next year is the quarterback that we're going to be looking for 
We're going to lose as many games as possible. We're going to have a healthy Kenneth Walker next year. Penny's going to be gone. He's only on the one-year deal. We're going to get our rookie quarterback, and this is our core offense now. We're going to keep Lockett, Metcalf, Fant, and do do that way. So that's how I viewed the Seattle team this year. And viewing Penny, I haven't been taking any Penny. I've come full circle on Devin Singletary here. If you remember the beginning of us recording for this season, I loved Devin Singletary. He was like one of my favorite you know, second half of the draft running backs to take with given the way that he finished last season, it felt like the Buffalo Bills realized that they can't put everything on Josh Allen. They need to be more Mm. balanced. And it felt like the light switch clicked during that overtime loss to Tampa Bay, where they didn't run the football once in the first half of that football game. And then from that point on, Devin Singletary was a monster for fantasy players. He definitely won championships for people who had him. And going into this year, I was like, all right, light switch has clicked for them. They need a more balanced approach with Josh Allen still heavy, you know, leading that offense. Then they drafted James Cook, and I got a little bit down on Singletary. I'm like, oh, man, they had an early draft investment on this kid. A lot of people like him. He profiles more of a, of a pass catcher, but, you know, there is still some running ability with him, given the, you know, he's the brother of Dalvin and all these things. As we sit here on draft day today, I've gone right back into taking Devin Singletary when we're in this area. I just think that he is a guy that they trust. He's a proven runner he's another guy that we always looked at with his yards per carry and we're like why isn't this guy getting more touches it's the miles sanders thing it's like why aren't they using devin singletary more when they give him the football he's explosive he gets good yardage the defenses are protecting against the pass and he finds success i'm right back into devin singletary here i like him in the eighth and eighth or ninth round where he's going james cook is right behind him though in current adps though people are really just picking between the two it seems like at this point yeah, for me, I'm taking Singletary in half PPR. In full PPR, maybe I'll, I'll skew James Cook. I mean, they did cut Duke Johnson, basically, which is a, a vote of confidence for him in that role. So it's kind of intriguing to me. But yeah, I mean, they both should be going in this range. And again, lean into your format a little bit. But yeah, so that's basically, we just kind of covered the the seven and eighth round quarterbacks and running backs. We got to get into some wide receivers. Yeah, go for know. it. Who do you like? Yeah. So from this group, top guy, I've spoken extensively on Adam Thielen, so I'm not going to get into that here. There's full articles on that from me. I think that he has just as much upside as any player. Wide receiver 10 in 2020, wide receiver 7 last year before he got hurt. So, you know, 90 targets in 11 games and 10 touchdowns in 11 games. So that for me, he's a guy I'm taking off the board pretty much before any of these guys. He's in another tier for me. Then you have Elijah Moore, Amari Cooper, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Alan Lazard, Hunter Renfro. Brandon Ayuk, it's kind of a eh, group here. So for me, Amari Cooper, once the suspension came down, there hasn't been a big enough reaction to his ADP, in my opinion. He's a guy that if it's a three wide receiver league and I absolutely need to take somebody that I can put in my lineup and tr- and kind of trust and not give me zero, then I'll grab him. But the more interesting and fun play, I think, is Elijah Moore, right? Like he popped at the end of last year. You know, they're at least improved the line a bit, you know, got a little bit of running game going. I know Zach Wilson might miss a little time, but Joe Flacco, they're saying, has looked pretty good. Elijah Moore had a quote saying that, you know, his passes are a little easier to catch. They're a little softer. So he's definitely intriguing in terms of upside, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins and Alan Lazard, or at least with Hopkins, you have to have a specific plan for that player. It's a very difficult spot to grab him. I mean, like, what circumstances do you find yourself drafting DeAndre Hopkins, if ever, John? I mean, I actually don't mind him if he's going to be sort of my wide receiver four or wide receiver five, depending on how my heavy my draft strategy is. Or 
if I feel like I have just whiffed on wide receiver to this point, then I am taking that risk that, okay, I really don't like where I'm at with my wide receiver group. Maybe I went too RB heavy. Maybe I took a tight end and then a quarterback. And now I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know, I don't really know if all these guys are going to hit. I'll take a risk on Hopkins knowing that in week seven, maybe I just hit the home run. Maybe I just made up for missing wide receivers for the first four rounds. That's going to, so you just go, if you feel like you just missed, you know, or you went too heavy at other positions, you just go full driver off the deck. Yeah. And just yeah. go. And I'm go like, for, you know what? Week broke. seven, I just got myself a top 10 guy, you know, for the rest of the season. He's now my wide receiver one. And, you know, may, maybe where I have, you know, somebody like a Christian Kirk, who maybe I ended up taking as my wide receiver one or, you know, somebody in that round, like six, seven range that we look at where it's like, all right, you know, Juju's there. Is he a truly a number one or, you know, Bateman, you know, like something like that where you're really weighted on wide receivers, yeah. guys that we like, but you know, we're, most people consider them wide receiver two wide receiver threes. Now I lean into Hopkins and I'm like, all right, he comes back in week seven, hits the ground running. He's not hurt. He's suspended. So there's a right. difference there. And exactly. he becomes a, a top 10 wide receiver from week seven and on, then I'm fine. Everything sort of yeah. re-slots itself there. And where I really I move is, so let's say you do go running backs early. If you're in a two wide receiver league, let's say you get three running backs. So you kind of already have somebody in the flex. If you're in a two wide receiver league, might as well go big, especially with your bench guys. Because I've had too many times where I'm like in this like two wide receiver league and I have all these guys and they're just not good enough to crack my lineup. And I want to do a two for one trade and nobody's doing two for one trades because everyone's thinking the same thing. We're only starting two wide receivers. I only care about upside, right? So if you're in a league like that, which a lot of leagues are, then, you know, why not go for broke? Because only special players are going to crack that lineup. You know, if you're not going to feel good about Alan Lazard for the, I mean, unless he really takes a step forward, like Aaron Rodgers is selling him to us as, but you're not going to feel really good about having him as one of your two wide receivers, but down the stretch, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be in your lineup every single week. Yep. I I agree with you 100% there. What other guys in in this range are you focusing in on? Yeah. So, I mean, now we're getting that. We basically just covered round seven and most of round eight. So the next group, if you want to go wide receivers is Hunter Renfro, which to me is such a low upside play, but if you're in a league like the Scott Fishbowl, the complete opposite of that league I just mentioned, the two wide receiver league, if you're in like a three wide receiver league with multiple flexes, Renfro will be in your lineup every week, especially if it's full PPR. But again, with Devontae Adams there and Waller there, not as exciting as he was last year, that's for sure. In games that Waller played, he was wide receiver 24. In games where Waller was out, he was like wide receiver four. And Waller's going to be there, Adams going to be there. So I'd rather take a stab on one of these other guys. You have Brandon IU. Devonta Smith, Drake London, Christian Kirk kind of rounds out the eighth round there. The guy I find myself taking, like when I look at this list, which I have many times in drafts so far, Drake London's the guy I take. Uh, I don't know if you're an IU guy or your feelings on Kirk, which Kirk is, of course, interesting as well. But I mean, I think Kirk is maybe the safest of this group, in my yeah, opinion. For sure. They just paid him too much money. And I'm actually a little bit bullish on on Trevor Lawrence as well. I think the one detractor when it's come to the Jacksonville offense has been Doug Peterson and the fact that during his tenure with the Eagles, uh, Jeremy Macklin was the only receiver with over a thousand yards in one year. Um, So like of all of his time coaching, he never really had a receiver that was that standout guy. Uh, And is Christian Kirk that player? I mean, I guess we'll find out. They paid him to be that guy. 
Um, but they I, also I, had Ertz. They had Ertz too. That's so. true. Yeah, that's true. They had another guy there. They, now they have Evan Ingram, though, the way you talk about him. So. Ah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. exciting part. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. Yeah. But, so, yeah. so I but, like I do Kirk. I do I do think he's probably the safer play there. I'm a, I also like Devonta Smith again, push, kind of pushing my own agenda. I've been obviously a, a bigger fan of the Eagles this season. And AJ Brown being there, I know he's gonna be the big guy there, but I still think Devonta Smith is an absolute stud. And you're I you know if that offense passes like we, I think they're going to sort of st- take a step forward doing. I think they could have 2,000 yard receivers. I think that Devonta Smith could be that guy that is just a, a volume type of guy where they throw a lot to him underneath and they let him get in space and he sort of uses that speed and quickness. And then they have A.J. Brown just you know sort of running those yeah. down the field ro- routes. So I'm a big fan of taking Devonta Smith in this range as well. Yeah, let me look. He won the Heisman Trophy, right? I mean, as a wide receiver. Yeah. So you can't say the guy's bad. And he played well last year. Yeah. You know, he put up well, some pretty decent is. numbers. As everybody complains about you know, Jalen Hurts last year, as a rookie, Devonta Smith had 64 catches, 916 yards, and five touchdowns. So yeah. now you just added a guy that defenses have to worry about on the other side in A.J. Brown. I love where Devonta Smith is going in drafts right now. Yeah. Here's my advice to people. You got to make a decision because, you know, as much as we love Jalen Hurts, we love him. For his passing is solid. His rushing is what really moves the needle for ADP. But if you look at, you know, we've said this before, the last time a team had two top 24 wide receivers and a top five running a wide, a tight end was the 2013 Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdowns. And if you want the next closest example, it would be the Bucks last year with Evans, Godwin, and Gronk. And Brady led the league in attempts, yards, and touchdown passes. So... My advice to people is you got to make a decision between Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. You can't be yes. on both. Definitely not in the same in no. the same league. I, I, I Definitely have no not in the same league. Goddard. I don't know how you are. Yeah, no. you rank. I'm out on Goddard. Yeah. I'm out on Goddard for that. And he's just such a good blocker too that I have a hard time believing that he's just going to be this focal point of the pass attack. So I wrote about it. If you go and look at the fades article where I have Devonta Smith from the tight end series, there's a write up that you know all the stats are in there of. Goddard versus Smith and just the pass blocking alone means that Smith is going to dominate in the routes run category. So, you know, I think it's very possible that both AJ Brown and Devonta Smith are legitimate, which means that Goddard is just okay. And that's fine. You know, that's fine for fantasy football. I'm worried that Goddard can't even get those end zone looks truthfully, because when they get inside the 10, Jalen Smith is usually looking to run himself. So a lot of Jalen Smith, not Jalen Smith, Jalen Hurts touchdowns rather uh, this year, passing touchdowns, in my opinion, are going to be you know outside the twenties because when they get in to that fifteen and in range, you know, usually it's him looking to make plays with his legs. Yeah, exactly, dude. And I look at this range, and it's you got to decide what you're gonna like. You say you're at the bar, and you got to decide what you want. Hunter Renfro is like a Bud Light, so is Christian Kirk, Devonta Smith, maybe some you know fancy cocktail, you know, dirty martini. It could be good. It could be pretty bad. And then there's Drake London, which is just something you've never heard of before. And you might take a risk on it and you might end up not even be able to drink it. That's what this round is. Something with flames coming off of it. You're not yeah, really exactly. sure what the bartender just keeps saying, trust me. You know? Yeah, it burns your whole face off. <laughs> that could be Drake London. I mean, now he's hurt too, which is, we're talking like this, his, the f- rookies already have a high floor, low ceiling. The ceiling didn't get any higher, but the floor got a little lower. Here. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I, sometimes I just look at a draft and especially in, you know, big tournaments or best ball. And I just say, you know what, if I'm going to win, I'm going to win. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. And I do find myself taking Drake London, but I don't mind these other picks. And I like the guys in this round, you know, a little bit more than the next round. There's, you know, there's another 
at, there's another flaming cocktail with Kadarius Tony in the next group, but I don't know, John. I, yeah, no, I'm with you. Round nine, round nine guys. You know, as of kind of current ADP, I know some of these guys are also starting to move up over the you know over the last like 24, 48 hours or so. You know, but you have Tony there. He's still walking around with an injury that keeps supposedly keeps on nagging him. Uh, you know, but we saw what he could be last year at, during that you know that one game where he had 186 yards. Robert Woods is someone where I've started to come back around on. You know, Justin Fenstermann continually just talks up Robert Woods as like a safe late round guy. So mm. I've sort of started to buy in on that. Britt Flynn, I think, is going to get Traylon Burks tattooed to her somewhere. You know, <laughs> and because of that, you know, in my trust in her as well, I've started to grab some Traylon Burks in these later rounds as well because we do see sometimes these first round rookie wide receivers just explode now i don't know if this is an offense where Traylon burks can do that knowing they want to run the football so much but we saw aj brown put up some pretty big numbers in an offense where derrick henry still ran for 2,000 yards so you know maybe Traylon burks who's they basically traded aj brown to to acquire essentially if you if you do that sort of crisscross math i think it's kind of interesting uh, Olave, are you talking about another rookie wide receivers in the same group where Michael Thomas, we don't know exactly how long he can stay healthy. Jarvis Landry feels like I haven't heard any reports around Jarvis Landry. He's just kind of been there for this. Except same. Howard loves him though, right? Yeah, listen, I think he's interesting where he is, but I just don't see anybody talking about him. And sometimes mm. that's a good thing, right? You're just not making camp noise. You're, you know, no news is good news sometimes. So Landry's there, but Olave we know is super talented, big body guy that can make some plays. You know, so if you're looking in that grouping of Tony, Robert Woods, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Sky Moore, who we just you just wrote about as well. You know, a lot of, you know, outside of Robert Woods, a lot of question marks there. Yeah, I think this group, now we're into that range where you got to know your format and know your bench spots. If you have three wide receiver spots, that's where I like. That's where I like Robert Woods. That's where I like Jarvis Landry. We know what we're getting. Jarvis Landry is a dude that, if you've seen the notorious speech that he had from the Hard Knock season, yeah. it might not have been Hard Knocks. He might have just been you know yell caught on camera yelling the hard knocks thing it was hard knocks he was like injuries are contagious bruh that was his whole thing basically telling people not to get hurt you know he's a professional this guy and he's going to come out and play as hard as he can he's not going to be a guy that's taking days or days off or snaps off or whatever so those are guys if it's three wide receivers you know i don't mind picking those guys in my wide receiver three if it's two or i've already filled those spots that's when i'm willing to go Darius tony or Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, and Sky Moore. I just like other guys better on the team. So I like Michael Thomas. I like Jarvis Landry. Therefore, I can't really like Chris Olave much. I like Juju Smith-Schuster. I like Travis Kelsey. Therefore, Sky Moore not as interesting for me. So that's kind of how I'm doing it. But use that process yourself. There's not many teams that have three fantasy-relevant pass catchers. But if you like Sky Moore more than Juju, you should draft Sky Moore in your leagues. We're not here to tell you who to draft. We're here to help you get better at fantasy football. And along the way, we'll mention how our process leads us to draft certain guys. But if you're sitting there saying to yourself, these guys are idiots, I'm taking Chris Olave because he's a monster and he's going to be better than Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas, you very well might be right. So go with who you want and just use that to you know your advantage. If you take Olave, then you should probably be fading the other guys. So just keep that part of it in mind. Yep, I agree with you there, 100%. Running backs that are in this range, Cordero Patterson. I think obviously you know shocked everybody last year. I'm extremely skeptical of whether or not he's capable of repeating any sort of that success. I do think it could be interesting using him 
with Mariota, knowing the mobility and maybe RPO-style offense that they could be running with Mariota, using Patterson and his versatility there. We mentioned James Cook a little bit already. Melvin Gordon, a guy that you and I were high on and then we're wishy-washy on now based off his own admissions there. We've discussed Kenneth Walker a little bit. You know, how are you, I guess, approaching Patterson and Gordon now in drafts? I've stopped drafting Gordon. The one league I did draft Gordon in recently is the Bourbon Bowl, but that is basically a league where you have four flexes. So you really are just looking for bodies at this point. Melvin Gordon is a handcuff plus now. He went from being a half and half type guy. And to me, when he comes out and says the things that he said, I got to listen to him. Melvin Gordon has not steered us wrong. He's been honest to a fault. Even when he was with the Chargers saying, I'm not going to play. He did what he said. You know what I mean? Like he seems like a pretty forthcoming guy. So when he says he's going to compete for the role, he did compete for the role. When he says that it looks like he's not going to get the role. I trust him. You know he's what now, I mean? He's like, now Alexander Madison. Uh, I don't think Melvin he's, is. let me put it this way. I don't think he's sandbagging us and it's some secret plan to have him be the starter. And he's trying to trick us. You know what I mean? Right. Like I believe him when he comes out and sounds sad. So, and then Kenneth Walker, I'm not going for either. So when I look at this range, it's if you don't like, because Damian Pierce isn't available here anymore. If you don't like Kareem Hunt or James Cook or Cordell Patterson, now you get into Melvin Gordon, who, you know, is already meh. Kenneth Walker, who might be hurt and his team is terrible. And he didn't really catch a lot of passes in college. And then now you're after that, with the next group we'll get into, you're all specialty backs. So you might have to reach in the group ahead of this for a Devin Singletary or Miles Sanders or Chase Edmonds. That's probably why you and me have so much Chase Edmonds is when the whole list is on the screen and it goes Chase Edmonds and then these goobers, I'm like, damn, I got to get Chase Edmonds right now. So I think that's why we end up with so much of him and so little of these other guys. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. And that's why this is, we talk RB dead zone when it, you know, earlier, right? Around, you know, three, four, you know, this is your RB dead zone for depth. This is an RB cemetery, bro. Yeah. And but the thing is, I like other guys later at a later ADP. I, it's it's kind of like a, a roller coaster here, where this ADP I'm not excited, but then we get so far into the ADP, into the draft that I start getting excited about later guys, just because it's I feel like I'm stealing a little bit. You know what I mean? When you get into some, we'll, and we'll get to them later, the guys we like taking stabs on. But in this range, it feels like there's too many high upside wide receivers available for me to take a low upside running back like Traylon Burks or Drake London could be this year's. I mean, it's crazy to say the narrative for how Traylon Burks got to the team he's on is not much different than the narrative for how Justin Jefferson became Justin Jefferson, right? They had a good wide receiver. They didn't want to pay him. They traded him away. You know, AJ Brown and Stephon Diggs are the same in that category. And then they used their first round pick on a player. The Vikings hit on Justin Jefferson. I mean, the Traylon Burks narrative is there, right? Robert Woods, in this case, would be Adam Thielen. So that narrative is alive, and there's a real possibility that it pans out that way. Whereas I look at Melvin Gordon, and I'm like, there's no, probably no Melvin Gordon megastar story right. coming along, right? Yeah, like I so, said, he's, he, to me, he's Alexander Madison now. If the running, if the starting running back goes down. Very capable of Melvin Gordon being an RB1, just like Alexander yeah. Madison, very capable of being an RB1. If Dalvin Cook goes, they'll get their random carries here or there that will just frustrate fantasy managers at times. But, you know, unless that happens, it feels unlikely that he's much more than a hand. Coop, tight ends in this range. Zach Ertz, yeah. Dawson Knox, Cole Komet, borderline now sort of starting to move up a little bit. You know, how are you viewing them three? 
This is prime time for me. If I didn't get like Schultz or Hawkinson or eh, if I get them at a good value, I'll start them early, but I'm still stashing a second guy just in case, you know, when Michael Gallup and Jameis, Jameis and Williams come back, it uh, they, they kind of come back to earth. Zach Ertz is that guy. He's like the quintessential yin-yang tight end yin, which means the yin-yang tight end, for anyone not familiar, is when you draft one safe guy early that you can trust, but has kind of a cap ceiling. And then you draft a second guy on your bench that has like a terrible floor, no floor at all. You can't trust him week one, but his ceiling is up there. Like there's a path to him being a top two target on the team or leading his team in targets. This is how we found guys like Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, Logan Thomas, because we just said, forget the floor. I don't have to worry about floor because I have this other guy. So I can just forget the floor and just try to catch lightning in the bottle with my bench. If he doesn't break out, you drop him for somebody else. That's the yin-yang tight end. Zach Ertz is the quintessential yin tight end in that not only is he fairly safe, but he doesn't have a high ceiling because he, at this, at his age, he was never a big yak guy, but at his age, he's not going to rack up a ton of yards. But DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the first six weeks. So you can reasonably depend on him for at least six weeks. So he's like the perfect guy for that strategy. You draft him, you throw him in your lineup, and then during that period, you just rinse and repeat, you know, adding and dropping upside guys. If I miss completely on all these guys, Ertz is the last one that I like from that category. I just go, I reach for Cole Komet. I think, you know, 93 targets last year. I don't care about him not catching a touchdown last year. His over under for touchdowns is four and a half with Vegas. So they think he's going to at least catch a couple, but I'm just going for a guy that I know is going to get targets. So Cole Komet is a guy I'm willing to reach for. I'm not drafting Dawson Knox unless it's standard or best ball. And I'm really not drafting Dallas Goddard. We already talked about why we don't like that. Pat Fryermuth. I think Fryermuth was actually probably better with Big Ben. 120 passer rating when targeting Fryermuth. He had the fastest release in the league. I don't think these new quarterbacks are going to be better for Muth, even if they are better for everyone else in the offense. So I'm kind of avoiding that whole group. Give me Cole, give me Zach Ertz, give me Cole Komet, and then we kind of hit pause and we'll come back and talk about some other upside tight ends later. But you can kind of just forget every other tight end for the next couple of rounds. Yep, quarterbacks in this range, you, know, you mentioned Kirk Cousins already. I, I, disrespectful for whatever reason. If you're in a six-point passing touchdown, Kirk Cousins is super appealing to me this Star. year. Star. You know, Derek Carr, we talked upon, the guy threw for 4,800 yards last year, gave him Devontae Adams. It feels like he's getting, he's going too low. Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford in this range. We talked about Stafford in the elbow mm-hmm. already. Rodgers, we don't know what to do in that offense right now. You know, he claims that it, there's going to be no drop-off. Everybody's going to get the football. He's still Aaron Rodgers. If you believe, that's fine. To me, there's still a ton of question marks at the receiver position for them. But Carr and Cousins are two guys that, like, I absolutely love taking. If I'm waiting on a quarterback or if I'm getting risky with a Lance or a Fields, pair them right up, back-to-back picks almost. Pick your poison, Carr, Cousins. I think they're both fine. Yeah, I'm right there with you. If you like the yin-yang tight end thing I just kind of rattled off, we have dynamic rankings in our cheat sheet, and our cheat sheet is free. And the dynamic rankings kind of incorporate that strategy. I mean, we have all the tight ends in there. We also do it for quarterbacks. So we're doing that here. And this is where you get your safe quarterback, right? The Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins are the ones I love. And then within the next couple of rounds, we can take some stabs on on some other upside guys. I mean, we're close enough to that range that we might as well hit on them right now. And then that way we don't have to talk for a quarterback for a little bit. So you take a Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, especially like Derek Carr, great matchups early on, like I said. And then you stash a guy like Justin Fields or Tua Tagovailoa or Trevor Lawrence. These guys where it's like, who knows, maybe the changes that were put into place this offseason 
could set those guys on a trajectory to be this year's breakout guy, whether, you know, Justin Fields could look like a, a Jalen Hurts or Trevor Lawrence could look like a Patrick Mahomes. As crazy as that sounds, Patrick Mahomes is going off the board at QB 15. The only way you really got him is if you were that person paying attention to the hype and saying, I'll take a second quarterback because I like the this guy. And then your second quarterback through 50 touchdown passes and you could drop the first one. So, you know, it's not crazy. Keep your even if you don't draft him, keep your eye on those three guys because they seem to have asymmetrical upside compared to everybody going after them. Yep, I agree. I agree with you 100% there. Next couple of rounds here, Coop. What, what position sort of jumps out to you in terms of you know appealing appetite players to draft? Yeah, so this is where it bounces back to running back for me because when I look at the group that just went right, like I'm like nah, eh. We're grabbing kind of the, you know, like JJ Zacharyson has a great article or he does a podcast on it too, where he kind of showed that one of the characteristic for breaks for breakout running backs are the starter goes in the dead zone and you just take the other guy. And, you know, a lot of times that other guy ends up being the dude. So I don't really like the guys going before, but then you get down to this next tier. We already talked about Isaiah Pacheco, who you're not going to get here, but Rashad White is interesting. He's getting a lot of hype, you know, behind Leonard Fournette. You have Kenneth Gain, who looked really good last year. I mean, on film, he was running, you know, he scored his rushing touchdowns from 15 yards out. He was, he got, he had three rushing touchdowns in the red zone, despite not having any carries inside the 10, right? So kind of an explosive player. You have Daryl Henderson, who there's a little bit of smoke there. These guys are mostly for the zero RB guys out there. You know, so zero RB, you're doing a balance. You're looking for guys, a balance of bench guys that are upside guys and also guys you can start week one. You know, most of these guys are upside guys rather than guys you can actually start. But there's definitely some intrigue there. Rashad White, to me, him and Isaiah Pacheco are the two guys that are kind of feeling like they have a bit of that Alvin Kamara magic to them where Kamara was buried behind Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram on the depth chart, but you just kept hearing about how great he looked. And the next thing you know, they just trade Adrian Peterson and find a way to get him touches. Rashad White kind of has a little bit of that magic to me. I mean, I know, John, you don't like him. So this is great for our listeners because they can now immediately hear why you can pump the brakes on Rashad White. Right, John? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing with him is just the roster that he's on, right? We we look at Tampa Bay, Leonard Fournette is right there in front of him, and Tom Brady handpicked Leonard Fournette, basically, when he was cut from Jacksonville to come to his team. He helped them win a Super Bowl. Last year, he was their number one guy. He's Leonard Fournette is not just a strictly two-down back. The man can catch 70-plus balls if Tom Brady wants to throw it to him. He trusts him in pass protection. You know, the one downfall with Fournette sometimes is his durability. There, you know, he's prone to miss a couple of games, and maybe that's where White sort of finds his value. But I find it hard to think that White is going to carve out a big role as long as Fournette is healthy enough to be on the field for 70 plus percent of the snap. So I get the appeal because outside of Rashad White on that roster is Giovanni Bernard and it's Keyshawn Vaughn, right? So there's really nobody proven ahead of him to take those carries away. But we're still talking about a rookie running back. That is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady as the quarterback. It feels like it was deja vu with Keyshawn Vaughn all over again a few years ago and everybody's taking him in like the sixth round. Not as high where White's going. It's a little more risk baked in with his current ADP. So if you want to take that shot, I think it's fine because if something does happen to Fournette, I agree. I think White's going to be that first one to get the crack there. Yeah, and the other part of it is that, you know, pass protection schemes the NFL are much more complicated than we 
picture them to be in our mind. Like in our mind, it's like you're blocking on this play. And if somebody gets through the line, you got to stop them. You know, and some plays tech, technically have a scheme that's set like that. But in reality, it's more of like a math counting game where the linemen, like mentally, you have to be on the same page with the linemen. And each guy is assigned the number like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, including the linebackers. And if somebody moves where they're lined up, say a linebacker steps up and somebody shifts over, you need to know what the audible is without it being said out loud a lot of times. You need to know that you were blocking the linebacker, but once they shifted, now the guard takes the linebacker and you take the tackle. And you need to basically be a genius as a rookie to be able to pick that up. And if you mess it up, John, I know you actually mentioned this when we were talking about Leonard Fournette, but if you mess it up and Tom Brady gets hit, Tom Brady's leash for that type of thing yeah, is incredibly Jones, short. That guy's yeah, not you, even on the roster anymore. So. You get buried under the doghouse doing that kind of stuff. So Rashad White needs to come out and, and play like a genius because Giovanni Bernard is amazing at that stuff. And he's still hanging around technically. Yep. Gio Bernard, you. yeah, that kept him around. So, and then you get into, I like that whole group, you know. Where next, are you with James Robinson? Like they seem to like him, man. They talk about him, even though he hasn't really played yet. They talk about him. The coaching staff has nothing but great things to say about the guy. So I wonder if they're going to do a... James Robinson at running back and then, you know, Travis and the ETN doing like everything else. So and being that's been, that has player. always been my biggest fear with ETN is yeah. when it feels like there's no plan for a player that terrifies awesome. me. Denard Robinson, yeah, offensive right. weapon. We talked about it obviously when ETN was, you know, last podcast, but you know, now that we're talking about Robinson, I'll quickly circle back around on it. When a coach says we love him in so many different places, he's so versatile. Oh, he can do a lot of different things. It's good. That just means that they don't know what to do with him. He's not the, you know, he's not, maybe he's not their best running back, but he can run the football because he's got some explosiveness to it. He's not our best receiver, but he can catch the football. So he's got some versatility there. We'll find a way to get him on the field. We'll look for these. I don't want a coach to not know how to use a player. I want this no. guy to have a defined role in an offense. He is the slot receiver. He is the running back. He is the third. Tell me what he is. They don't know what he is. They just keep saying we want to use him in different spots. That can be good. Debo Samuel last year, at the end of the year, they used him in a lot of different spots. He was able to rush for touchdowns. They obviously threw to him the football. He got a handful of running plays. But there's no defined role, it feels like, for where Travis Etienne is going to be used, especially like they talk about, oh, come week one, James Robinson's good to go and be our early down back. Okay, so is now Etienne getting, what, five carries and six targets a game, four targets a game. Where's the value for a guy that people are taking in the third round. So this is a yep. spot where you said, we'll probably know week one, how they're going to use these guys. And exactly. Then, and then we go from there. There could be a lot yeah. of, Oh no's for those who drafted ATN, or there could be a lot of guys that are just dropping James Robinson after week one. Exactly. And this is where it really matters where you, what your strategy is in the draft, what your league is, what your bench is like, because if you need, if you went zero RB or hero RB, which is becoming more and more popular, the hero RB thing, and it really is a difficult strategy. If you're a casual gamer trying to pull that strategy, you need to know all the, not only what the hot late guys are, but how they're used and who you can use where. If you're picking your, your, you say you had hero RB and you took one running back. If you now need someone to go into your lineup, you can't take Alexander Madison right here. He is not going, you can't start him in your lineup. You need to take somebody like Naheem Hines or James Robinson that we know they're going to play. Maybe even Michael Carter for the Jets, who they say is going to play. You need somebody who's going to play because Alexander Madison has come out and straight up not played. There have been games where he's been active and touched the ball 
once, twice. So you got to know that if you know if you're looking for a guy here that's going to play, you need that. Now, if you're doing a normal draft like a normal person, and you already have three or four running backs, now you just care about upside. So that's where you go ahead and say, I will take a Isaiah Pacheco, or I'll take a uh, Tyler Allgaier, right from the Falcons, who you know who knows what the split with Cordell Patterson is going to be. You know, you got to figure out where you're at and what type of player you need because not all these guys are created equal. So this whole range of running backs, know what you need and know how you're going to utilize them because they're not the same. It's not just picking off this group and hoping that, you know, it's, yeah, it's nothing like the first round. Let me tell you (laughs) here in the 11th round. Yeah, no, for sure. Another running back that's starting to make some waves up draft boards in this 11th round. And and again, starting to climb a little bit earlier as well. Michael Carter reports coming out that he's starting ahead of Brees Hall. I'll believe it when I see it. We know that, you know, Carter really thrived catching the football when they would throw to him. You know, Wilson, Zach Wilson last year was not prone to dumping off to Carter, but we know Joe Flacco's had some, you know, and him have some chemistry there. And then, you know, last year we saw Mike White throw a lot to Carter you know, how much of that reporting are you believing? And where is your interest lie with Michael Carter? I believe it. I believe when they say that, you know, it's going to be a competition and, you know, because the Jets aren't, aren't in a position to didn't look any Jets fans listening. I'm sorry. You guys aren't going to win the Super Bowl this year. It's just, it's not going to happen. Five and a half over under win total. Those teams don't win the Super Bowl next year. You could be next year's Bengals. You take that extra leap. You know, Zach Wilson takes the leap forward. Maybe. This year, probably not going to happen. So I could see the team go out and say, we got two good backs. Let's utilize them both. Let's not run anybody into the ground. And that's why Michael Carter is a guy that if I'm doing a hero RB or zero RB build and I need someone to start for me, out of this group, I think I might be most comfortable starting him week one. James Robinson is coming off a torn Achilles and he's, or uh, yeah, I believe that's what it was, or an ACL, and he's not even really playing yet. So out of this group, I mean, is there anybody you trust more than Michael Carter? Are you going to start Isaiah Spiller, Tyler Allgaier? Uh, no, Rashad I don't Boyer? know what to do with I I know a lot of people are talking about him. I, again, I, that feels just like a who else do they have sort of play. Not necessarily that he's really any good. I feel the same way about like, Isaiah Spiller here. And round yeah. 12, the fact that the Chargers just had to go and sign Sony Michelle to tell you all you need to know about Spiller and Joshua Kelly behind Austin Eckler, in my opinion, is that they're not ready to be those guys. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Brian Robinson's kind of going in this range on IR for four weeks. You know, I, if you want to take a stab and you have an IR spot, I'm fine, you know, taking that if you feel comfortable with that spot, you know, because if he does come back and Gibson is still fumbling the football they may be pretty eager to put robinson back in the mix but you're right this range here of running backs there's not a lot that you look at and you say all right this is the guy carter at least we know is likely seeing the field yeah i mean we're deep enough in this draft that like i'm looking at it now and it's you know we're getting to defenses soon so i'll just give you guys the list of backs that if you get to if you're going to be a true zero rb guy and when i say that i did a draft with the guy who Invented zero RBs, Sean Siegel. He was in my Scott Fishbowl draft. And the earliest running back he took, this is a couple years ago, was in round 11, this round, the first running back he took, on Johnson. If you're doing hero RB, you might have one RB by now and you need someone to start. So in this group, once you get this deep, the only guys I think I trust to even just consider in week one are the Hines, Michael Carter. I will consider starting J.D. McKissick. I will consider starting. I'll start. I'll. I would consider starting Rex Burkhead, given the news. If you're getting that deep, 
And then I guess the last one that I might think about starting would be Jamal Williams so from the Lions. In a 14 team league last, just last night in a draft that I did, I took Rex Burkhead in the 13th or 14th round in a PPR league. And there was a lot of surprised faces, I think, in that live draft when I took him. But you look at the depth chart there, it's just Damian Pierce, and then it's Rex Burkhead. So right. like, yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I'm like, in a full PPR league, you know, and if you're really truly doing zero or hero RB the way you're supposed to, then full PPR, you know, you get excited. Like I did a draft with Kevin Tompkins and also Jacob Sanderson from Player Profiler. And, you know, those guys are such true zero RB, hero RB guys. They're licking their chops in full PPR when they see Naheem Hines and Jaden McKissick. They're getting excited. Rex Burkhead too, you know? So if you're really truly doing that strategy, those are the names you got to know. And then on the flip side, you know, then there's the rest of these guys that, you're picking as a upside stash, like a Ty Davis Price from the 49ers now that Trey Sermon's been released. John, anybody else in here, either handcuff or not, that you consider to be a lottery ticket that you got? Maybe Khalil, Khalil Herbert, maybe? Yeah, did you mention Mostert at all yet? No, I didn't. Yeah, Mostert would be for me. If he stays healthy, we know what Ray Mostert can be. Like, big explosive guy. You had the stat where he had, what, the fastest breakaway speed of like, any running back like last year or two years ago? So he had the number one speed. This stat just got even better, John, because he had the number one speed and the number two speed that year. This preseason, he had the third fastest on-field speed recorded. He's yeah. back. And Tyreek Hill had the number two. Like those two Dolphins both recorded crazy speeds. So not only did Raheem Mostert do that before, but he did it like two weeks ago. He yeah. went 21, 21 miles an hour on-field. Yeah, I'm telling you, like Mostert is such a wild card if he stays, and I said this, if he stays healthy, like Chase Edmonds, he doesn't profile as that every down grinder back. Like most of could very well find himself in that 60, 40 split that Connor found himself in last year with Chase Edmonds. And most knows this offense already with McDaniel coming over from San Francisco. Like, I think there could be a lot of value here with the Mostert If he can just glue himself together, yeah, stay on the field. Keep it together. This guy can be legitimate. Yeah, he. I mean, because he like there's nobody cape like on those. So that the year that I talk about with the two fastest speeds, those were on a one was a seventy something yard reception against the Cardinals, and the other was a seventy something yard run against the Jets. Like this guy's capable at any moment. Great best ball pick. One of the one of the most underrated best ball picks because and he's nobody capable. was touching him at all for the longest time because they, right. they just didn't know where he stood. The Sony Michelle release just clarifies that depth chart for me. Yeah. So the recent releases, so the Sony Michelle release is going to move him up. You got to keep him in mind. Kenyon Drake landing with the, with Baltimore with, they cut Tyler Beatty. They have, you know, two banged up backs. He's going to be drafted. He's he's happy. I don't know. Fine. I don't know if you saw his retweet of, he said he was fine. Yeah. Basically being like what a man can't like, you know, whatever. I have to walk like a robot for me to be. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I have to walk like, but I mean, is he going to get 80% of the snaps? I don't think so, man. I think Drake's better than Mike Davis, but I mean, who knows? Davis has been there longer. Who knows? So he's moving up. I've already mentioned it. Ty Davis price on your platform. He goes by Ty Davis price, but it's going to say Tyrion Davis price. spelled like game of Thrones because Trey Sermon was cut. He's probably going to move up too. So those are some guys to keep in mind. And then if you do have an IR spot, or multiple IR spots, really. With the very last pick, I don't mind grabbing Gus Edwards, moving him to an IR spot, and then making a waiver move to add somebody as soon as possible, just because he is on the pup list. So in every format, you can put him in an IR spot. Even the ones that require guys to actually be on the NFL IR, he would be eligible. So, you know, again, very deep league play, 
But, you know, if you planned on if you're between two guys and it's the very last pick of the draft and the other guy's going to be on waivers anyway, you might as well grab Gus Edwards, slide him in the IR, and then add the other guy too. That's just yeah. a little sneak move there. I like know? Sonny Michelle again, if you're just sort of dart throwing. I think there's going to be some potential role for him, you know, red zone maybe even. We saw times where Kelly, they try to give Kelly. The problem with, I think, the Chargers backfield these last couple of years is that they kept on trying to give other guys opportunities to spell Eckler and they were so bad. They just kept bad, putting bro. Eckler back in. I, you know, I think this is just another opportunity where Sonny Michelle is sort of a proven short yardage goal line type of play. It's not good that he's going to come in and just take all of these carries away from Eckler, but I do think there could be a, a role there for him. And if you are looking to handcuff Austin Eckler, I'm taking likely Michelle over Spiller at this point. Yeah, I think so. Larry Roundtree is dust, obviously. Yeah, he's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's pretty much it for running. Unless, John, you have anybody no, else. Yeah, we're, for we're wide receivers, deep. what do you think for these, you know, late round dart throw wide receiver guys? MVS is moving up boards, but he's kind of in that, you know, post 10th round range. He was someone that I liked a lot coming into this year. I felt like, you know, he's going to get a real opportunity to expand that Chiefs offense. I know Sky Moore is obviously in that mix as well, but I think Marcus Valdez-Scanlon gives something that Patrick Mahomes hasn't had, and it's not just downfield speed. He had downfield speed, but now he has a guy with just as quick almost as Tyree Kill at sub 4-4 downfield speed, but he's like 6-4. So he gives Patrick <laughs> Mahomes a guy that can go down up there and then go up and get it as well. And, you know, if you can just hold on to the football, I think there's some pretty interesting appeal for me there. You mentioned Romeo Dubs already. He's well beyond the ADP range that we currently have him on, but... A guy yeah, that you and I have both identified this offseason has been DJ Chark. Yep. I like Chark, man. And th this is now we're in the range where you got to know, again, I keep repeating it, but it's because it's so important. Know your format. Know if Jacoby Myers is going to actually crack your lineup as a guy that is not going to score a ton of touchdowns, but he's going to get his targets. He's not going to have a bunch of yak. So it's got to be like a full PPR with three starting wide receiver spots and maybe a couple flexes, right? Beyond that, you got to start looking at whether you can afford lottery tickets, especially guys that aren't going to be IR eligible, guys that you need to hold and see if they break out. Last year, Amon Ross St. Brown, if you drafted him and you only had four bench spots, you probably dropped him before he broke out. He didn't break out until week 12. Like you went through every bye week. If you had four bench spots and you held on to Amon Ross St. Brown, you either forgot the password to your Yahoo account or you are from the future. Because he was doing nothing worth considering up until week 12. So know where you're at. If you can afford to stash guys, why not stash a Garrett Wilson, a rookie that, you know, could take a little time. Jamison Williams, right? Jamis Williams could be this year's Odell Beckham Jr., where Odell, his rookie year, people forget, had the hamstring, missed time, came in slow, and then blew up. That I, could I took be him in the host draft today because we have an IR spot. He was the he was my last positional player before we went kickers in defense. I, I snagged him, threw him right on the IR. Yep, yep, exactly. And so it's like Jacoby Myers, Jarvis Landry. Those are guys where if you have a lot of roster spots, you like those guys. You know who's going to uh, be a steal in this range and is starting to go earlier than where we currently have him uh, going, but is Michael Gallup. I don't yeah. know if you saw the reports. Past his physical, not on the pup list. He's still considered doubtful for week one but he could suit up in week two and we're yeah, looking at a Dallas offense where a lot of people liked Jalen Tolbert. Tolbert kind of had a wishy-washy preseason, but Gallup was always supposed to be that guy as number two. Once they moved on from Cooper, if Gallup's good to go week two, you're getting him in this range where there's a lot of question marks. I want a number two pass catcher and a Dallas Cowboys passing offense. Yeah. They've been top five in pass attempts two years in a row, two and five 
Michael Gallup has a 1,000-yard season on his resume. Amari Cooper's gone. He's kind of a great pick, really. And But you just have to make sure that you have your the bench spots for him because you're not going to be able to start him right away. Over the last so he, two days, Gallup is going at pick 127. So, yeah, so he's way ahead of this group we're talking about. Yeah, he's going in round 11-ish, you know, in that spot right now. Yeah, so, like, of this group, you have to think about it. Like we said, you got to know where you're at in terms of can you stash guys long terms? Can you hold on to Michael Gallup or Garrett Wilson or Jamison Williams to see if they pop? You know, because it's it might not happen right away, especially with rookies. On the flip side, if you do have the shallow benches and you just you want guys that are in uncertain situations and you want to see if they're doing anything week one, Julio Jones is a perfect example. Julio Jones is a guy that could crack your lineup right away if Russell Gage and Chris Godwin come out slow and he has a full role. That said, if Julio Jones comes out and does nothing week one, it's not going to get better when those guys get back. So you can take Julio Jones and cut him for the waiver pickup. And if you only have four bench spots, there's probably a lot of good guys on waivers. So that's like a perfect example of a guy where you can find out right away how involved he is. Kenny Galladay, DJ Chark, Nico Collins. These guys are all guys where we're going to get answers fairly quickly, right? Like Nico Collins isn't a rookie anymore. He's been around for two camps now, two years now. He's either going to be involved or he's not going to be. It's not going to be a situation where they, for some reason, ramp him up in his second year and he doesn't do much right away. And then all of a sudden he's awesome later. That's not typically how it works with second year guys. With rookies like a Garrett Wilson or, you know, like Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, that is how it works. Almond Ross St. Brown, you do have to wait sometimes. So that's really the difference is that those guys are guys you can take with your last pick and say to yourself, hey, I'll take a stab on Kenny Galladay. And if the rumors are true and he really is just a bum now, then I'll just drop him. And you at least get a look, a look at a at a nice, you know, at somebody who could have a major role and then you just get rid of them. So. Yep. Tight ends in this range, Coop. Who are our late round tight end targets? Yeah. This is where you're just looking for, honestly, if you just want the one sentence cheat code, look for guys who are top two targets on their team or could be in this range. We stop saying why, and we start saying, why not? Like Mark Andrews, you have to say to yourself, why am I spending such a high pick on him? And then you go through, you know, man to man, this or that in this range, you say, why not Evan Ingram competing with Marvin Jones and Zay Jones? Why can't he be a top two target on the team? Why not Austin Hooper? David Njoku could be the second target after Amari Cooper. Brevin Jordan, if Nico Collins isn't the guy, what's the depth like after that? You know what I mean? We're talking about like Chris Conley. I mean, Brevin Jordan's right there. So all these guys, you got to start asking yourself, why not? So so for me, I get a whole article, a whole series on the guys I like, but you should just think about it yourself. Say, you know, you might even say, hey, Robert Tunyon, why can't he be the second target on the team? Just, you know, Take the information and apply it to your own projections. But those are the guys I like. Evan Ingram is the guy I'm drafting in virtually every format, even if I have to reach for him. So that's my guy. doesn't have to be your guy, though. But, you know, at that ADP, round 15 or whatever it is, it's for me, it's an easy pick. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, with, I'm with you there. I, you know, again, I get all my tight end information from you anyways. We're going to read the yin-yang tight end article. Go look at the dynamic your rankings article that Coop has out there for tight ends. It will really clarify this position for you and uh, maybe make – you take a look at it a little bit differently. Quarterbacks that are sort of late round guys. I think you briefly touched on Trevor Lawrence. I'm a big fan of his. Sneaky rushing upside with Trevor Lawrence too, by the way. Had a 500 yard rushing season in college last year. I think he was like, had the fifth most rushing yards or sixth most rushing yards 
for a mm-hmm. quarterback. So sneaky mobility is something I always like. That's why, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars, Blake Bortles, right? Blake Bortles always had sneaky rushing upside. He did. You know, that people were always so focused on his interceptions. And obviously he didn't turn out to be any great shakes. But, you know, if Trevor Lawrence is going to consistently run for 300, 350, 400 yards, there, that makes up for some of the lack of touchdowns or yardage that we may get out of him when it comes to throwing the football. So he's certainly in that range. Matt Ryan is a guy that I've slowly started coming around on, just sort of like a safe floor. But if you want to go a little bit more risky, same range, Jameis Winston is right there. You look, yeah. at, you look at the receivers that are given to Winston. Alan Kamara is at his disposal. I mean... This is a guy that has a 5,000-yard passing season on his yes. resume, a 30-plus touchdown passing yard, a passing touchdown season on his resume, a top-three quarterback finish, I think it was, that year as well. It's all set up for Winston to just dominate, you know, where you know where he is going off in draft. So if you want to take a little bit of the risk, Jameis Winston's certainly there. If you want to go a little safety, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, they're all in that range as well. Yeah, I said it on PicksWise this week when we did some, like, betting odds. I was like, I might spring, I'm going to sprinkle some money on Jameis Winston plus 2,600 to lead the league in passing yards. He literally did it in 2019. He has Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Alvin Kamara, Chris Olave. I mean, Adam Trotman's not terrible. He's got, you know, guys that can catch passes. And when you have that back, I mean, that's why Justin Herbert's the number one guy. He has the high, you know, his odds are only like plus 450 or something, which is, you know, almost not worth betting. But like, it's because the run game is completely supplanted by the passing to the back game. So all those yards that another team might have Jonathan Taylor running for 2000 yards. Austin Eckler has never had a thousand yard rushing season because he gets it all through the air. He's his best receiving season had more yards than his best rushing season. And that all double counts for the quarterback. That's what's so appealing. And James Winston has the same thing going on. So yeah, I'm down for that. And then, you know, you got to be in a two QB leagues. We're focusing on one QB leagues. So really the only other move is if you do want to be that guy that does the Deshaun Watson stash, just make sure you know that there are very, he's suspended through week 12. So there are very few quarterbacks that you could pair with him and be able to only have two quarterbacks. The only quarterbacks that have bye weeks after that point where you could start that quarterback all year and then start Watson when he returns for those guys bye week. The only guys that I think are feasible are Kyler Murray and, you know, kind of crazy to spend up on Kyler Murray that also draft Watson, the Chicago bears. So Justin Fields, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. Besides that, it's like Matt Ryan with the Colts. Winston is also there. Carson Wentz. Not really excited enough about Winston to say to myself, I'm going to start Winston all year long and then start Watson when he comes back. I think the most viable move, if you want to do that, is Aaron Rodgers. Pick Aaron Rodgers. You start him for 13 weeks, and then you start Deshaun Watson when he's back. The if risky you want part about Watson that, is when he's going to start playing games – is like fantasy playoffs for you. So, yeah, you know, you got to be you're, crazy. You're going to be starting a guy basically one week off of his date in your round one fantasy matchup. Can you rely on that? You That's know? why I said, so, if you want to be that guy, if yeah. you have decided already, if you're listening to this podcast and it's September one, you've already decided that you're going to be that guy. So I'm just letting you right. know, you know, here I'm give, giving you help on how to be that guy. If you take any other quarterback, now you need to have three quarterbacks. Yeah. And that's sure. just, it's a nightmare, right? Before, you can't put suspended. Before we get on defenses here, because we are recording, I might as well give some breaking news that's going on in the NFL. Trey Sermon has found a home, Coop. Uh, Ooh, the Eagles have claimed him off waivers. So, 
Terrible. Uh, if you want to take a horrible running back situation already, you can now add in another running back into that situation. I would imagine Sermon is on the practice squad here, but, you know, again, a backfield that has Miles Sanders, it has Boston Scott, it has Kenneth Gain. Is Jordan Howard still in the depth chart? Like, I don't know. I feel no. like he always just finds his way in a depth chart, but. Yeah, he'll end up there at some point, right? but no, he, they, Sermon, they, yeah. You know, they, so it's not a good news or bad news. It just is great. He's just muddied the water even more down in Philadelphia. Yeah, so not interested at all there. Yeah, it's just. And that, if anything, if he does actually make the 53 man and he's part of that, then it just makes things even more complex to a bad situation. So not the landing spot you were hoping for your guy, but at least the team had interest in him. You know, oh, yeah. in, in uh, Dynasty, I, I had no could interest in Sermon. I just think it was interesting that he was touted yeah. as the RB2 two days ago and then got cut. So for sure. Uh, but he did go to a team in Philadelphia that when it comes to defenses, Coop, I've been snagging them. They've been my defensive choice, especially after some of the recent moves that they made. You know, you look at the trade that they did with the Saints, improving their secondary. They already have Slay over there as well. They're healthy. I'm a, and you look at that division, you know, some questionable teams that they'll be up against as well. The Giants, obviously, Washington in that division. So I'm a big fan of the Eagles defensively this year. Yeah, I've been doing more thinking about defenses here than I usually do. And the more I've been looking at it, there's kind of three different strategies. There's streaming, which the Eagles are the perfect team for that. They have a very good schedule starting. I mean, you're going to start in week one against the Lions. You know, the Vikings kind of a eh, matchup, but then the next two are the Commanders. And then, like you said, the, uh, you know, the Jags. So you're going to be all right there. So, you know, if you're going to stream, that's one strategy. That's one team. The next strategy is the most common one which is you draft the best defense you can, and then when their bye week comes, you make a decision. You either drop them or, you, you know, you pick up another defense and you, you hold on to the defense you have and then, you know, drop the other defense and you go on living your life. But you have to sacrifice a bench spot to do that. If, you know, if you only have four bench spots, which I see a ton of people send me their lineups and they have four bench spots, that is scary because it's now you got to keep your defense. You're Now you're dropping one of your four bench guys. What happens if your tight end has the same bye week as your defense? Now you're dropping half of your bench, right, to keep those players. It really is a scary situation. But there are a few teams, like if I get the Bills or I get the 49ers, I know that I'm going to, that I'm going to do that and I'm going to hold on to them. Then the third strategy is to proactively choose a defense that you think is at least okay that has a bye week that's just way out over the mountains, right? And this year, if you want to be that guy and just say, I don't care about defense, I'm picking this defense and I'm just going to start them all year. I don't care what happens. The Indianapolis Colts are a very interesting one, one of Kevin Tompkins' favorites, or the New Orleans Saints. Very good defenses, I think. The Washington Commanders, also kind of a sneaky defense. I mean, if your league is big on sacks, they have some of those players. Week 14 is the bye weeks for those teams. So if you trust the Colts and you take them, you don't have to worry about a bye week until week 14. And if you somehow lock up a bye week in your own fantasy league, you might not even have to pick up a defense. You might just say, screw it. I'm going to just sit here with my defense on bye week and just we're on to next week. So those guys are interesting for that strategy. So three strategies. If you're going to stream, do it right. You know, play the matchups. If you're going to go for a high-end defense, just make sure you have the bench spots to do it to get through the bye weeks. And then if you want to play the game I'm playing, I'm drafting a lot of Colts and Saints, and I'm just going to try and set it and forget it. 
Yep, I agree with you there. So that's it, Coop. That is our second half look when it comes to ADP targets and fades. So we are seven days away from the start of the NFL season, week one. You can find Coop and I, of course, on Sundays answering your start sick questions over on Fantasy Alarm YouTube channel and in the premium Discord where we'll be asking those questions from 11 to 12 Eastern time on Sundays. You got to take advantage of the package we got going on right now. It's just a limited time offer. I got a sneaky suspicion it may be gone after week one. That is FantasyAlarm.com slash all pro. Use promo code NFL50. It gets you 50% off the pro monthly package that's about 20 bucks a month for the first six months which takes you through the entire nfl season just for 20 bucks a month to get all of our dfs content not just for the nfl season though it includes all of our dfs products college football dfs just starting out week one today we have nba dfs nhl dfs pga mma nascar you name it we cover it you get all of that for just 20 dollars a month Go to fantasyalarm.com slash all pro promo code NFL 50 first six months, 50% off. Can't beat that deal. Coop. No, you really can't. And the thing is that's our package for people that play this game super seriously and make money playing this game, which is what we do. Like we go out and we play big money leagues. I'm playing a $2,000 FFPC main event league. Like I'm not messing around. I think I'm pretty good at this and that's the way we play. And the people that buy that package, you spend money to get those levels of our tools that we have you get the exact plays that we're making every week howard bender puts his lineup out i i detailed levels of tight ends that i'm drafting or sorry that i'm using in dfs at each level a high level a mid level a low level super cheap level anybody i think that's viable i'm doing full write-ups on that we have specialists for every position so you're not getting some dude out there who's writing an article for 20 bucks a pop that just has to fill out a lineup and then throw it at you like i'm a tight end specialist and i'm going to give you exactly the tight ends i like every single week deep analysis so you can actually win money we've had guys you know i know you mentioned millionaire mike millionaires yeah, week three uh, guys, last year won a million bucks over on yeah. Fanduel in the five dollar contest quarter million you know what i mean matt sells if you know and this package gets you all the sports not just this matt sells nascar tfs writer of the year three out of the last four years the back-to-back at one point that's the kind of stuff you're getting and we have that for all sports i mean i don't know if anybody any anyone i don't know anyone out there that does esports the way we do right like we are coming at you with pretty much all of it so you know it's 20 bucks a month and it pays for itself really so jump in there now like we said they like to take it away after week one and then the next time you're probably going to get something like that is not until Christmas when they do like a special. Yeah, then you've uh, already missed everything. So get you've into already missed it the now. season. Yeah. So fantasyarm.com slash all pro promo code NFL 50. Got to get in now. Week one next week. We'll be all in it. Coaches, playbook, watch list, dartboard, our lineup generator, all of it available to you through the, pra- the package, plus access to our premium discord. We're in there answering your starts and questions, helping you guys win. No better time to jump in than now. But for now, Coop and I will catch you guys later.